And so let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this community of people. I thank you for the truth of scriptures. I thank you uh, for the beauty of who you are and how you bring your church together and even through technology, how we can connect. And we pray for uh, our pastor friend across the seas today and ask that you would be with him and his community and that they would be a light to Lahore, Pakistan. Father, I... I ask that you would speak to us today here in Seoul in a real deep way this morning. And I ask that you would challenge us and push us. I ask you to challenge us really in the deep parts of our heart, but that you would push us in our mind. And I'm going to ask for your help in all of that. And all of God's people said, and again, and one more time. Yeah, that's great. I'm losing my voice. I don't know if you picked up on that. At some point, I'm going to need somebody's help. That's all I'm going to say. So when you hear me say, I'm going to need your help here, that's the cue. And somebody's going to have to just take that risk. Last week, we talked about God taking our ashes and turning it into beauty. So this week, what I want to do is I want to actually continue to walk on this path and ask specifically, what do you do when your world is falling apart? You know, maybe you got that dreaded phone call that said, you know, sorry, uh, the test came back and it's cancer. Or maybe your spouse has walked out on you or somebody that you love just died and they were a pillar in your life. Maybe you lost your job or the falling stock market, the way it's been going up and down, you know, maybe has left you on shaky financial ground. Or maybe an accident has happened and and all your plans are thrown out the foreseeable future. You know, things in your life are going so smoothly and then the next minute it's as as if a storm hits your life and now all your plans have been destroyed. So what do you do? Now the... There are entire books of the Bible that deal with this question. One of them is written by a man named Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah is a prophet of God. He witnessed a terrible time in the history of the children of Israel. The nation went into a huge economic crisis. The land was terrorized by a foreign enemy. He witnessed incredible inhumanities and suffering. He watched as many in his nation were were led away to slavery. And so in his time, Jeremiah writes two books, and one is called Jeremiah, obviously, but maybe not so obvious if you don't know your Bible, but there's this other book called Lamentations. Now, most people don't know about the book of Lamentations. We will eventually walk through it. I want to address it very briefly today. Now, the word lament means to complain. So, When I unload my sins on God, when I unload my sins on God, we call that confession. But when I unload my complaints on God, that's called lamenting. Are you with me? Okay, so the book of Lamentations is a book of Jeremiah's complaints against God. And it's not really a positive book, but in the center of it, there's a positive message of what to do when your plans fall through. How do you rebuild your life when your world falls apart? Now, I'm going to say this. Maybe you're in a great place right now. Fantastic. Get out your phone. Get out your pen and paper. Because if your life is like anything like my life, stuff happens. And if you're in a great place right now, I hate to be, you know, the prophet of doom, 
but stuff happens. And so I've tried to come together with some practical points for you, and maybe this is where you're at today. Stuff has happened, and you're trying to put your world back together. Well, let's look at Lamentations chapter 3. The first thing we see is that we need to unload all of our frustrations unto God. Now, you know, coming from a church background, sometimes that's not a cool thing for us. But, you know, we need to learn to tell and to express ourselves to God and to tell Him how we feel. We need to learn to express our grief, our anger, and our fear. Here, Jeremiah calls out God. And he complains. He lets his anger out to God in his full fury. And so in verses 1 to 10 of chapter 3, he unloads, he says, I am a man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He has driven me away. He has made me walk in darkness rather than in light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. Next slide. Thank you. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old. He has broken my bones. He's, he's, un, he's going after God here. He has besieged me. He has surrounded me with bitterness and with hardship. He has made me dwell in the darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Look at the word pictures that Jeremiah is creating here. Even when I call out or cry out for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. You can't read Lamentations quietly and peacefully. Because Jeremiah is brutally honest as he states his complaints against God. He's finger-pointing. Why would God allow this in Scripture? The answer is really easy. Because God can handle your anger. God can handle your frustration. God can handle your grief. This entire book really is one long complaint, and that's why it's called Lamentations. But in the middle of these complaints... Through this God-breathed scripture that is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training us, God shows us how to deal with our feelings when our world is falling apart. And when your world's falling apart, it's easy to focus on the pain, right? The problems, the pressures, the difficulties. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. Isn't that a great picture? (laughs) How do you deal with your negative emotions? Most of us, we swallow up our negative emotions, don't we? Most of us. And when we swallow our negative emotions, you know what it does? We actually take it out on our body. Listen, if we don't talk our emotions out with God, we will take them out on our body. We swallow our emotions, right? And these things in our lives, when we swallow them, become a pain in the neck or a pain in the back or a pain in the... your mind out of the gutter. It's a little lower. How did it get there? 
You know, listen, it's okay for us to tell God we're kicked off, uh, ticked off. He's blunt. We can be as blunt as we want. He's blunt as well. We can be as bold as we want because God is bold. We can go to God and say, God, I've had enough. I think this step is step one in our recovery of being honest with ourselves and honest with God when we have to unload our frustrations to God. You ever see a tenter tantrum? I actually think that's what's happening here with Jeremiah. And then something interesting takes place between the verses of 19 and 21. We see that Jeremiah begins, once he unloads on God, he begins to focus his, the focus of his pain changes to focusing on God's love. And he says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. See, this is one of the other B words. Last week we looked at broken and beautiful. Today we see broken and the bitter. See, bitterness only makes you miserable. So what is bitterness? Well, somebody once said that it's a self-inflicted wound that keeps you caught in your own pain. If someone sins against you, you have two options, really. You can either forgive them or you can become bitter. I, I don't see any other option. Bitterness also appears when we think, keyword, that someone may have, another keyword, sinned against us. See, in life, we as people can be bitter against each other without any real reason or justification. You may wonder why someone is, is so mad and you hear, you know, you said this or, you know, I never said that. What are you talking about? And so their bitterness is what they thought you have said or sometimes bitterness comes out of some sort of misunderstanding or misconception. And so we're upset or somebody's upset with us for something that wasn't even said or done, but it, it was thought that it was said or done because somebody else thought, like, you know, uh, mind your business. But do you know that if we allow our anger to go unchecked, that it will lead to bitterness in our life? Do you know bitter people? Aren't they angry? And many a person has allowed bitterness into their life. And when we allow bitterness into our life, and I can do a whole other sermon, it actually leads us to sin. When we hold grudges over people, when we want to get revenge, when we want to see them suffer and so on, this always separates us from God because it's not consistent with God's character of forgiveness. One of Satan's most effective and popular schemes is bitterness because it strikes at the heart of the gospel of grace. It uses sin to evoke additional sin. Throughout life, people are going to sin against us. And we have to decide at that moment whether we will bring the gospel of repentance and forgiveness to bear upon those sins, those transgressions, those offenses that are done towards us, or whether we will harden our hearts with unforgiveness and become bitter. And so bitterness begins when we don't speak truthfully to others who we are angry with. How are you? Fine. Either remaining silent or speaking about them rather than to them. You with me? So bitterness in our lives grows over time, which is why God tells us to deal with it before the day is over. And so bitterness is when we choose not to forgive someone living... Uh, <coughs> sorry. 
You know, and so we begin to live according to our old self rather than forgiving them and putting them into their new self. So how can you tell if you're bitter? Well, do you continue to replay a negative past event in your mind with great detail and and great dislike for the person or persons involved? Do you find yourself continually becoming annoyed or sorry, do you find yourself referring to someone in a negative fashion because of a past hurt? Or do you intentionally avoid certain people because you find yourself continually annoyed and angry in their presence? And do you find that your dislike for someone grows over time? And eventually our bitterness seeps out through our mouth because it's through our words and our heart. It's through our words that our heart's really revealed. And when we're bitter, we speak unwholesome words and say things that are not intended to help and build up the person we're speaking about or the people we are gossiping to. And ultimately, what we say and how we say it and who we say it to grieves God if it proceeds from bitterness. You know, it's interesting. The Old Testament tells the story of Naomi who had moved from Israel to another land and her husbands and her sons, they all subsequently died. And so Naomi's talking to her daughter-in-law and she says, don't call me Naomi, which it translated means pleasant. Don't call me pleasant, she told him. She says, but call me Mara. Call me bitter. Because the Almighty has made my life so very bitter. And so she says, the Lord has made her bitter. And this is the great lie of bitterness. The concept that somebody else made you bitter. Who's responsible for your bitterness? One of the enemy's lies is that bitterness is caused by the sins of somebody else, when in fact, bitterness is caused, if you think about it, by the condition in our own hearts. What comes out of you is an indication of what's in your heart. And if bitterness is flowing out of your mouth, it's a good indication that there it is in here. Hebrews talks about making every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without, holy no, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that what? No. Help me out here. What's that word? Sorry, I didn't hear it. Sorry, one more time. I, I didn't hear it, people. What is it? Bitter, yeah. See that no bitter root grow, grows up to cause trouble and defile many. So we must deal and get rid of all the bitterness. So my question this morning, maybe today in light of your circumstances, past, present, are you bitter? You know, Jeremiah begins to turn the focus of his pain to God's love for him. And we read in verse 20, I will remember them and my soul is downcast within me. And then there's a switch. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore, what does he say? I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Wow. And what I see is that we simply need to get alone with God and begin to wait. You know, you don't know that God is all you need until you, until God really is all that you got. 
And sometimes God allows us to lose everything so that you realize that God is really all we need. I want you to think about the lyrics of this old hymn. Look at it. Okay, remember where I said I need some help? You know where I want to go with these lyrics? Right. Who can start it? If you know this hymn, old hymn, I want you to sing it. Let's go. I need a key because I got no voice. Give me a key. Are they just words or are they words with meaning? It's not the natural response that we see here, but the biblical response is to turn our focus to God's love when we're in trouble, when we're broken, when we're beaten, when we're bitter. And look at what Jeremiah says in verse 24. I say to myself, The Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. To the one who seeks him, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And I will say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. To the one who looks who seeks him. Do we do that? Do we do that? It says, it's good for a man to bear the yoke while he's young. Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him. Let him bury his face in the dust. Remember last week? Let him bury his face in the dust. There may yet be hope. And there it is again. Beauty for ashes. Hope in the place of dust. And then we read, For no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love for he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. And so even though we're mad at God, you need to remind yourself how much he loves you. We must turn our focus from our pain unto his unconditional love, and we have to remember that 
we can't make God stop loving us. And you can complain, you can yell at him, you can scream at him, but he will still love us forever. And you can see this biblical approach in Jeremiah's life because Jeremiah starts out focused on his pain. And he says, the thought of my pain and my homelessness is bitter poison. I think constantly and my spirit is depressed. And so Jeremiah is consumed by the devastation around him. It consumed his thoughts. It made him bitter. And it made him depressed. Welcome to our culture. And so if you want to change your life, really, you've got to think about it. We've got to start changing our thoughts. And so that's what Jeremiah does. And we saw the mental switch in verse 21. Yet hope returns when I remember this one thing. The Lord's unfailing love and mercy still continue. Fresh as the morning, sure as the sunrise. The Lord is all I have, so I put my hope in him. I said it before, you don't, know, you don't know God is all you need until God is all you got. That's all you need because God will take care of you. We make dumb mistakes when we start doubting God's love, when we start to think, you know, I know better than God. I'm going to start choosing my way to do things rather than following God's way to doing things. Or we think that God's some sort of cosmic killjoy who looks for ways to make our lives miserable. We, you know, we, we, people, we need to change our thinking. We need to remember the Lord is merciful and he will not reject us forever. He may bring us sorrow, but his love for us is a sure and strong thing. He takes no pleasure in causing us grief and pain. <coughs> Sorry. I have to say that God loves you. God loves us. And he's not this strict parent that you couldn't please. And he's not the imperfect parent with weaknesses and faults who's messed up in raising you and me. He is God. He is the eternal, all-knowing, infallible God who created you to love you and will never leave you. So when you feel like you've lost everything, stop focusing on what you've lost. Start focusing on what is left. And what's really left at that point when everything is taken from us is God and his love for us. And we all go through a time where we think our lives are falling apart and we lose our job, our relationship, or someone dies, our health takes a turn for the worst. And, and in those times, we're tempted to think that God has abandoned us. But what we see is, is that he hasn't, because Jeremiah in the same, was in the same boat with his country. Economic tailspin, terrorized by a foreign enemy, witnessed incredible inhumanities committed against his people. Some of them are starving to death. He's trying to make sense of this crazy world we live in. And so after telling God on how he felt as if God had forgotten him and his nation, and he didn't ignore the situation or it wasn't on his heart. He actually spends five chapters telling God what he thought about the situation. And he tells God, this sucks. And again, God puts those kind of passages in the scripture because he wants us to know that he can handle our anger. He can handle our gripes. He can handle our griefs. And Jeremiah spends an entire book of the Bible blowing off steam. And if God was big enough to handle Jeremiah's pain, he's big enough to handle yours and mine as well. 
So if we swallow our emotions, people, we just hurt ourselves. Your stomach will stay sore. And instead, we need to learn to unload our emotions unto God. When my kids were little, some of them would throw the odd temp- temper tantrum. And their tantrums didn't make me love them any less. Their tantrums didn't make me doubt any of my decisions as their parent. Didn't make me feel any less as a father. They did remind me that my kids were immature. Just throwing it out there. Because the fact was, they didn't know what I already knew. And God doesn't love you any less when you have a tantrum tantrum. He doesn't owe you an explanation. But he is never afraid of what you have to say. And so maybe you need to spend some time just to tell him what's on your heart. And I'll be honest, that's all the beginning of healing. So when Jeremiah gets alone with God and waits, he sits down and is quiet. He's quiet. Can you do that? Get alone with God and wait? Can you learn to wait on on God? Do you know how to do that? Are you stressed out all the time? Like, what does it mean to wait on God? It means sit down and shut up. How many times have we heard that? Be quiet and listen. Make time with God every day. Call it a quiet time. Call it whatever you want. Call it your sit down and shut up time. But most of us have never sat in silence just waiting on God because we're too busy. If we had time right now, I'd, I would actually have us sit for 10 minutes in perfect silence. Do you think we could do it? You're going, oh, please don't. No, I, I want breakfast. Try to find some time in your day where you just unplug. Because that's what Jeremiah does. He sits down and he takes some time and he's just quiet. The next thing he does is he begins to change the things he can change. Lamentations 3 says, let us examine our ways and test them. Let us examine our ways, test them, and let us return to the Lord. So I want to give you some practical guidelines to learn to replace negative attitudes into more Christ-like positive attitudes. When you examine your ways, many times we need to replace evil with the good. It sounds simple. But people who are able to utilize the power of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit that indwells them in all of their relationships and their thinking and activities will form the basis of a healthy living. But you and I have these evil tendencies, and we have to be aware of them. We have to bring them before God. We have to get rid of them. We have to replace the evil stuff in our life with that which is good. How many of you worry? Don't put up your hands, please, because we will look down upon you. Because we need to replace worry with faith. Don't get upset when things don't go your way, realizing God can use disappointments to develop in us a greater godliness. Replace worry with faith. Replace despair with hope. David wrote, The eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. Sometimes we sit and wallow in our despair. It turns into bitterness, but we need this hope Hope in God instead of ourselves or our friends or our circumstances. 
We need to replace anger with love. You angry? Jonah wrote, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. But Christ's love for you enables you to love others instead of allowing anger to get the better of your attitudes. Replace anger with love. What about suspicion? Well, you replace that with trust. And it's amazing what God can do with people who are loving and trusting. Love and trust breeds an environment of multiplication of his kingdom, of his righteousness. And people who who know they are loved and trustworthy can accomplish anything with the help of Christ who gives them the strength and the power. Replace your cynicism with belief. Because we live in a very cynical and skeptical world. Abraham did as well. It was written of him that he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. And people laughed at him. Let faith give you the victory that overcomes the world. Replace your sorrow with joy. Second Corinthians, Paul writes, I am sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing yet possessing all things. Sometimes we just need to take a step back and take an inventory of all the great things that we have because of Jesus Christ. We've got to replace the gloom with cheerfulness. Because happiness is a choice that requires determination to be happy amidst sad you know, situations. I'm not talking, you know, plastic. I'm talking finding this joy. Even in tough situations. We need to replace our anxiety, which is a great word in our society today, with security. Job said, for I dreaded the destruction from God, and for fear of his splendor, I could not do such things. I have put my trust in gold, or said to pure gold, you are my security. This is what Job said. And yet when I look in the New Testament, I see that my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You know, where's our security? Is it in God or is it in stuff? Are you distressed? Maybe we need to replace that with some confidence. I praise you, Lord, for giving me your sense of certainty, for you have been my hope, O sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. Be confident in his mighty power, his plan, and sovereign will for your life. He is working in ways that we don't see. He will make a way amidst the foggy times and feelings that we find ourselves. Just be confident. When your world is chaos, we talk about following the pilot. You jealous? You need to replace that with contentment. Again, I love what Paul writes. I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I'm in. I can do everything God asked me to do with the help of Christ who gives me the strength and the power. Be content. Maybe you're the type of person who's just sort of resigned. You've sat back. You've given up. Well, we replace that with determination. Be strong and courageous and act. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. He will not fail you nor forsake you 
until all the work of the house of God is finished. He says that to Joshua. He says that to us. <coughs> Feeling torn down by other people. Defamation is a great word. Feeling that? Replace that with inspiration. When people try to put you down, overpower them with the inspiration that you receive from God's word and spirit. Don't take that stuff upon you. You replace those attacks with prayer. Be self-controlled, alert your enemy. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. Well, that's funny because we're supposed to cast all our anxiety on Jesus because he cares for us. So we're in a war. We just need to pray. Maybe you're feeling confused. Well, replace that with wisdom. Scripture says if any of us lack wisdom, we should ask God because God longs to give us insights and knowledge and supernatural wisdom if we call on him in our times of need. And many times we just don't. What about extremism? Well, we need some balance in our lives, right? It's interesting. Scripture said that Jesus, he sort of grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. It just took him some time. He balanced things out. We need to follow that example. We need to speak the truth in love so that we can grow up in aspects of maturity in Jesus Christ, Ephesians 4.15. Bring balance to our lives. You know, sometimes we're so extreme on our views, right? And it causes stress and conflict. And sometimes we've got to take an inventory and replace our fleshly attitudes with spirit-led thoughts. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Make a choice, people, to be led by the Spirit, or you're actually going to succumb to your own destructive desires and impulses. Replace indiscipline with discipline. Discipline yourselves for the purpose of godliness, for godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. When we discipline ourselves, when we become more godly, all kinds of blessings come our way. But when we're indisciplined, not undisciplined, I find out it's not a word, but indiscipline, it leads to captivity and leads to sinful desires. Replace impulsiveness with carefulness. I'm impulsive. It gets me in trouble. Flee the evil desires of your youth. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord, uh, are, are on the Lord are of our pure heart. Sorry, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. I love that verse. Be objective in our thinking instead of allowing subjective feelings to determine your course of actions and attitudes. Be objective in your thinking. Replace error with truth. Jesus said you err because you don't know the scripture or the power of God. Matthew 22. In the age of information, people, ignorance is a choice. This is a major problem in the North American church today. We have no clue what the Bible really says about many issues. And we listen to people who tell great stories, but have little substance in their theology. And we're hooked in. It makes us cry. We need to learn how to know, obey, and love the truth that's found in Scripture. 
And only then are we set free from negative attitudes and actions. Finally, ask God to relieve your fears. My enemies threw me into a pit, dropped stones on me. The water flowed above my head. I cried out, this is the end. But I called on your name, Lord, from deep within the well, and you heard me. You listened to my pleading. You heard my weeping. Yes, you came at my despairing cry and told me, do not fear. Lamentations 3. So I conclude with this statement this morning. Expect Jesus to restore your life. Lamentations 5 says, Restore us, O Lord, and bring us back to you again. Give us back the joys that we once had. The Bible tells us that once, you know, Israel was going through that very difficult time, and God gave them this beautiful promise. We actually read it in Hosea. And now here's what I'm going to do. Hosea chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Now here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start all over again, he says. I'm taking her back out of the wilderness where we had our first date, and I'll court her. He's talking about the nation of Israel. I will give her a bouquet of roses, he says. I will turn Heartbreak Valley into acres of hope. And she'll respond like she did as a young girl whose days when she was fresh out of Egypt. God will do the same thing to us if we trust him. If we turn our difficulty, you will turn your difficulty into a door. A door to a better life. Your adversary will, uh, or your adversity will become the access point to better days. Anybody can bring good out of good, but only God specializes bringing good out of a bad situation. You know, you've heard the expression, attitude's everything. Well, people with a great attitude actually succeed for the most part. And those with negative attitudes are usually failures in a lot of many areas. What's your attitude in your current situation? What's your attitude right now? Viktor Frankl, who's a concentration camp survivor, said, everything can be taken from a man but one thing. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. To choose one's way. One of the challenges of living in a broken world is that everything falls apart eventually. We're all affected. As much as we like to think that we have it all together, we all face times when our worlds fall apart. And if you think that your life is beyond repair, listen, you're wrong. If you think it cannot be restored and you're a mess, you're wrong. Because Jesus Christ is in the business of restoration, reconditioning, refurbishing, renewing, recovering that which was lost or broken. And he said that he came to seek and save that which is lost. Not only does he seek to save us, but he gives us a fresh start in life. Not only you, but he wants to give you what you lost, if you think about it. And the Bible says that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. The old, the past has gone away, the new has come. (coughs) So God has something new and something better for you. And no matter how broken your life may seem right now, no matter how badly things are falling apart, Christ can make you whole again. And as a matter of fact, 
He can even make you whole for the very first time. The choice is up to you. On your seat, there's a connection card. You can fill it out. If you want, on your way out, you just take it to the information desk. Or you can go online, and there's a place online if you want to connect with us. But if you want us to pray for you, if you want prayer, maybe you're here and you're just going, I need Jesus in my life. I'm such a mess. I need Jesus in my life. We want to pray for you. We're going to have people at the end of the gathering here. They're going to be on their way to the crosses right now. Our prayer team will pray with you. If you're going, I need this Jesus, just tell them I need Jesus. And we'll pray with you here at the end of the gathering. Joe, if your team can get going here. Fill it out on the connection card. We'll phone you. We'll email you. We'll get a hold of you. We'll meet with you. We'll pray with you. We'll support you. We'll do whatever we humanly can. We'll point you to Christ who's the healer of all. But my request to you is simple. In a world of brokenness, don't leave this place broken. Don't leave this place bitter. But take those shattered dreams, take those ashes and give them to Christ and let him make you beautiful. God, we confess that we're people prone to self-righteousness and bitterness and anger and self-justification. And Father, I thank you that you are not bitter with us, but rather you have come to take away our sin. And we receive that from you and trust it in faith and we receive it in grace. And I say thank you. God, still we need your help to keep our mouth shut because we all get in moods and soon enough we're mouthing off and we're hurting those that we love the most and that we care about. And we do things we know are wrong and we make a mess out of our lives and at times we make a mess in, in other people's lives as well. And the worst part is, is that we knew this would happen. We knew that when we chose this path, we'd end up hurting other people. And so, God, today we are knowing that we deserve the worst, but we're asking for your help in forgiving others that make us mad, that make us bitter, and asking that in your gracious way that you would send us your peace. So, Father, blow a gentle breeze our way, cooling our burning heads and hearts and thoughts. Calm us, God. Soothe us and give us the strength to do what I can fix, the messes that we've made, and release those things that I can no longer fix. And so, Father, help us to walk out of here not feeling guilty of our sin, but rather may we walk out of here knowing that we are forgiven, that, that we may feel transformed and renewed and sent us out as ambassadors with good news to tell. Thank you that we belong to the living God. Jesus, thank you for coming for us. And you, as you've pursued so many in Scripture, you actually pursue us as well. And some of us here, you, you've spoken too many times, and we thank you that you're constantly speaking, even when we don't listen. And so, God, thank you that you love us and that you change us, and we thank you that you put your new life into us and you choose to use us. And not just so that the Great Commission would get done, but that, God, you want to see us transformed. 
Give us a sense of urgency for ourselves and our city. And may an outbreak of grace and goodness explode here in Winnipeg as we come in humble repentance so that we can be transformed. And God, my request is you would transform us. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me. you want us to pray for you, if you're touched, if you got stuff that's going on, if I hit a nerve and you're angry at me, awesome. Seriously, I mean it. But if you need prayer before you go, please go to our prayer team. This is what church is about. We are the church. We're here to lift each and every one up. In ancient times, the one who blessed extended his hands for the blessing. Those receiving the blessing did likewise. May you, soul sanctuary, go forth from this place, thankful for the life that sustains and renews you, and open to the grace that surrounds and surprises you. And may you go forth from this place with openness and with thanksgiving. And may you go and make a difference in your world. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And have a great week. See you next week. Be blessed, people.